You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, as uh, we continue in our series, In Between, that time in between you where you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and that time when eventually we will, as followers of Jesus Christ, go to heaven. How do we live in that in between? Uh, This week's message is entitled, Off to Work, Off to Work. Some of you this afternoon will go off to work. Uh, Many tomorrow morning will go off to work. Um, The reality is we live in a society that requires that we work. Although in our society, people are trying to cut corners and get out of as much work as possible. How can I do as little as possible and yet get as much out of it off to work? I don't know about you, but when I thought of that title, my mind went to hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. I hope you know that. Well, I told Chris that I won't sing and he won't preach, so I won't go any further than that. But um, you know what? Work is a part of our lives. Uh, Work isn't something that started with sin. There's a lot of people who believe that work started when Adam and Eve sinned. It's not true. In Genesis 2.15, God put Adam and Eve in the garden to take care of it and to work it. You can check it out when you get home to make sure what I tell you is true. Uh, But work started before the fall. It's not the result of the fall. What is the result of the fall is toil in work. Work is hard. Work is difficult. Um, Lots of people in their first job will say something like this. This is not fun. That's right. They would have called it fun if that's what it was. It's not fun, it's, it's work, it's work. And in our text today, Paul tells the people, work out your salvation, work out your salvation. So you got your Bibles open, we wanna read the text. Uh, let's stand together, we wanna honor God as we look at his word, Philippians chapter two. I'm gonna start reading at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and a minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. 
Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, to to you, excuse me, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such people. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you that we can stand and hold your very word what you preserved, what you protected, what you gave to us that we might understand the fullness of the riches of who we are and what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So Lord, as we look at your word today, would you give us ears to hear and minds to understand it? But then Lord, through the power and the working of your spirit, would you give us passionate hearts to live out what we hear? Father, that we would not be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. For the person who's here this morning who's never trusted Christ, they've heard the testimonies in the baptisms, they've, they've, they've heard and listened as we've sung, and now, Lord, we ask that your word would be, be true to us, that you would uh, give those people ears that they might see and understand who Jesus is. And then, Lord, as followers of Christ, you would uh, work in our hearts to work out what you have worked in us that Jesus Christ would be glorified. And we ask all these things knowing you go before us and you will do your work in your way, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Um, Well, the work that Paul is calling us to is an impossible task. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You can't do this alone. It's a work that starts in our salvation and a work that goes out from our salvation. So big bold at the top of your notes, if you're taking notes, the impossible made possible. The impossible made possible. Well, how is that true? Well, first of all, it's true. The first thing we want to look at this morning is the impossible made possible for it is God. It is God. We're going to come back to verse 12 in just a moment and explore that verse, but we want to see what verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God. It is God. And so Paul starts out this part of the text with that word that we see so often. We saw it a few verses earlier, that word, therefore. And going back to what is the therefore, therefore. And uh, easily, it's for the verses right before. Some might even argue it's for everything that's gone on in the, verse before, in the verses before, the, the whole book. And he's saying now, therefore, um, perhaps, perhaps, but for sure, he's talking about the verses that are right before it. And uh, the verses right before it are all about who God is and what God has done. Uh, Here's the first thing we want to see. Look at the example, the example he gives in the verses six through eight, talking about Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by, being, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That was a big part of our message last week. And so if you didn't hear it, you can go back and listen to that part. But the example of God working in us begins because of who Jesus Christ is and what he accomplished 
for us. And so the Lord Jesus Christ comes to earth and the Bible says holding on to the fact that he was God and is God wasn't something he had to graspingly hold on to. He wasn't going to lose it. He was going to add something to that and that was his humanity. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he came as our example. And at the last part of the verse, says he came to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who could be the right and righteous and the only real sacrifice for our sin because it had to be a spotless, had to be a sinless sacrifice. And Jesus Christ came and he died, he was buried, he rose again so that we could have life. He was our example. Uh, we heard the uh, illustration that I believe it was Spurgeon who gave it said the Lord Jesus Christ went from the throne of God to the bottom rung on the ladder when he died on a cross for us for it is God what we're called to today is possible because of who God is and what he did in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the example. And then take a look at the reason in verses 9 to 11. Again, this was from last week. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Has bestowed upon him a name which is above every name, uh, the name Jehovah, the name Yahweh. Um, that was the name that is bestowed upon Jesus Christ. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Not just the knees of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible's great claim is that every knee will bow. The person who is in Christ, the person who has rejected Jesus Christ. But one day, the Bible says that we're going to stand before God and every knee is going to bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's an exclusive claim. It's an exclusive way. There's one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that that is true. Followers of Jesus Christ will confess that and, and the, the picture of it and the fulfillment of it will be in their eternal life with God the Father in heaven, worshiping together. And those who've rejected Christ will, will also bend the knee and will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God will say, I never knew you. And they'll be separated from God for eternity in a place that is called hell. That's what the Bible says. And so people say, well, that's so exclusive. Yeah, it is. It's one way. One way to God through Jesus Christ. And it's the reason why this is so important. It's the reason that we get it right to the glory of God the Father. The impossible made uh, possible, for it is God. The thing that's in our text is found in verse 13. For it is God who works in you. That's the power. It is God who works in you. Ephesians 2, I was reading it this morning in my devotions. Ephesians 2 talks about how we're dead in our trespasses and sins and how God makes us alive in Jesus Christ. It's God who saves us. It's God who works in us. And as we come to the text of work out your salvation, we need to understand that we're working out what God has done for us. He is the power, for it is God who works in you. 
In Ephesians 2 and verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship. God is the craftsman. God is working on us. God is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have a part for sure, but the reality is God is in all of this. No one ever came to Jesus Christ that God didn't take and do the work to bring them from death to life. The power, for it is God. And so the great hope for you and me today is that this is not on us alone, but rather it's a working that God has done and God is doing. It says, for God who works in you both to will and to work both to will and to work. I think sometimes we think of our salvation and we gotta think, I gotta will myself into this. I gotta get myself up for this. And we need to understand when the Lord Jesus Christ changes your heart, yeah, we have bad days. There are days I have to discipline myself to do the things I have to do. The Bible says God is at work in you both to will, to give you the will and to do the work. A picture Paul as he's writing this letter, he's in prison. Not the script he would have written. He probably would have wished he was out with the people in Philippi and going to Ephesus and, and to the people in Colossae. But no, no, he's in prison and he's writing these letters to them. Why? Because God was working. God's will was being accomplished. God's will. And God works for, towards our will or our desire to work, to do. It's God who does the work in us. And so sometimes I think we feel the ownership of, oh no, what I have to do. Oh no, what I have to do. And again, we do have responsibility. We're gonna see that, but we need to understand undergirded in all of that is who God is and what he has done. Even the desire and the ability comes from God. That's a freeing thing for us to understand that God works in us through the power of his Holy Spirit. What for? For his good pleasure, the Bible said. For his good pleasure. God working in us for his good pleasure. And not for our good pleasure, primarily, but for his good pleasure. The impossible made possible. Why? Because it is God who works. The next thing we wanna take a look at, the impossible made possible, and get to work, and get to work. We have a part in this, and I wanna quickly walk through the who, what, where, why, when, and how of verse 12. Verse 12 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. We don't wanna miss the connection between the obedience of, that Jesus showed and what Paul expected from the followers of Jesus Christ. Now we have a part in this to work out our salvation. And so let's walk through that. First of all, who, who? Work out your salvation. Well, who's he writing to? Well, he's writing to the body. He's writing to the whole church. They have a responsibility as the body of Christ in Philippi to work out what God has worked in them. And, um, and so the challenge for us when we think about these verses is, is about us as a church. And, and what are we doing as a church to work out and demonstrate our salvation? What do we look like as a church in our community? What do we look like, our voice, and what we're saying? Work out your salvation is a corporate thing. It's a family thing. It is a body thing. But it's also a personal thing. Uh, work out your salvation. Work out 
your salvation. So the who is all of us, and the who is you, 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 and the who is you. you. Work out your salvation. If you are in Christ, you're not excluded in this text. What he's about to teach is for us. It's for us to think about on an individual basis and what are we doing with it? That's the who. Well, what's the what? He says, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. It's something that they already had, what you already have. It's amazing what God has done, bringing us from death to life. It's a gift that comes from God. It's yours by faith. We heard the testimonies in the baptismal tank this morning of people who came from darkness to light, from death to life, from blindness to seeing. Because why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ worked in their heart and they came to a point of understanding. They were separated from God. There was nothing they could do about it. The Lord Jesus Christ came to offer them eternal life and by faith alone in Jesus Christ, they are saved. That's what God does. That's what God does. And we need to understand that we have this salvation. It is ours through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Work out your salvation. So the question that everyone in the room has to answer is, do I have that salvation? Do I have that salvation? Have I come to the place of understanding what Paul has been talking about? Have I come to the place of understanding what Paul said in Ephesians? For by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not of works so that nobody can boast. I'm never wanting to stand before God on my look at me, Lord, look what I accomplished plan. Because what's required of God is no sin. And I can never get there. I can't even get close to that. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came. And so we have to answer the question of what did we do with the working of Jesus Christ? Have I come to the place of being saved? It's not my works. It's not what I do. It's who God is. It's what he has done. And I accept the fact that I'm a sinner. I believe that Christ died for me. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and I am saved. Each one of us in the room has to determine what we have done with that and and you need to deal with that today. He says, work out your salvation. And if you don't have salvation today, it's a free gift that's offered to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved you will be saved. But then there's the part of it that's for us as we move forward because he says, now work out your salvation. He's not saying work for your salvation. What is in you, now you work it out. What does that look like on the street? What does that look like tomorrow with my friend? What does that look like with my family? Work it out. I tried to think of an illustration of the best way I can give you the picture that you have salvation and now you work it out. And the best illustration I could come up with would be this. A most amazing thing happened on May the 26th, 1979. A thing that changed my world for sure. A thing I could never look back at, I can't undo, it is finished. It was a marvelous work. On May the 26th, 1979, Sue and I got married 
And a contract was made and a signing was done and the work was finished. I was married. I can't unmarry. I can't, not in God's economy. It's done. It's finished. That part is over. But May 26, 2016, we'll have been married for 37 years. The work was done 37 years ago. But I've been working on it for 37 years. Been working out my marriage. Much more difficult task for Sue, working it out with me, than for me working it out with her. You all understand that. But, but that's the reality of what the picture is here. My marriage, that, that stake was driven in the ground in 1979. That stake doesn't come out of the ground. But I work at that. I work for that for 37 years and as long as God gives us, as long as God gives us life. Work out your salvation. The thing that God has put in you, you work it out. Well, where? Where do we work out our salvation? Where you are right now, the situation God has put you in. Remember back in Psalm 23, we, we talked about paths of righteousness. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, there are all kinds of paths that we are on. Jason's path is different than my path, and, and George's path is different than my path, and Andrew's path is different than my path. Not our path to God, that's through Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, we all have different responsibilities. We all have different opportunities. The opportunities that they have are different than the opportunities that I have, and so work out your salvation where you are in your circumstances in the sphere of influence you have we're to take what God has put in us and we're to work it out work it out well why why because God has put salvation in you and God calls us to be his ambassadors he uses us as his mouthpiece to tell forth of the word of God it's a great responsibility and it needs to have a sense of urgency. Uh, Victor Dang was in my office this week on Wednesday, and um, we were chatting. He's given me permission to share this illustration with you. And uh, last week, Victor's first closest friend, I think I'm saying that right, his first closest friend was murdered last week. And Victor came in my heart on Wednesday, into my office on Wednesday with a heavy heart for sure. And part of the heaviness of his heart was, did I do enough? Did I do enough? And so we talked about that. And Victor told me about when he sought to express the gospel to this person and, and to share the good news with him. Victor brought him to this church on a number of occasions. And, and just that sense of, did I do enough? And I had to encourage him that he did what he could do. You can't want for something, something they don't want. You can't save anybody. You have to be faithful. You have to do what you're called to do. But there's an urgency to this, to working out our salvation because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And as far as we know, that, that person never trusted Christ. But what did Victor take out of the room? He took out of the room, well, what about the rest of my friends? What about the rest of the people I have a sphere of influence with? What am I gonna do with that opportunity? 
And it was a great time for us to pray and rejoice and give thanks to God for how he's working. And our job is to be faithful. And that's what God called Victor to. That's what God's called me to. That's what God has called you to. Why? Because we have the gospel to share, work out your salvation. When? Now. Now, today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. This is the time to be excited for Jesus Christ. This is the time to be telling other people about what God has done for you. You work out your salvation, not somewhere down the road, not when I'm more mature in Christ, not when I got more things figured out. No, no, what God has given you, you work it out, and you work it out now. And then how? It says do it with fear and do it with trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is not that we should live our Christian lives with a constant sense of fear and terror, not about our salvation. That's been taken care of in Jesus Christ. But that we should live with a fear of failing to work out our own salvation. Not a fear for hell or damnation of ourselves, but a concern and a passion for that in other people who God has put around you. Work out your salvation. You work out what God has worked in you. Psalm 25, 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and who makes known to them his, his covenant. Fear and trembling. An honest understanding of who God is in his love, in his mercy, in his grace in his justice, in his vengeance, in his jealousy for us. The God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, who sees all things. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling and not like he's been addressing in the book on two occasions already, not with selfish ambition, not with how can I get ahead, not with conceit, how will I look good. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but get to work. Get to work, working out what God has worked in you. And here's the third thing we wanna look at today. It starts in verse 14. The impossible is made possible, so don't give up. Don't give up. Look at verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do all things. Do all things without grumbling and do all things without complaining. That's a big bar. That's a high bar to get over. How are you doing at that? Think of last week. How did you do at that? I thought about it last week. Hashtag fail. <laughs> On Wednesday, I'm preparing this message. We're studying those very verses and Kenneth comes into my office and he says, uh, Pastor Paul, last week, you know, you went up to Newmarket and you did a, uh, a family chat with vision and all the rest. By the way, you can see what's there now on the website to see what we said. But um, he said, um, it didn't turn out. 
You got to do it again. Oh, crumb. How come I got to do it again? What's wrong? How come we couldn't get that right? No, 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 no. Grumble, 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 grumble. Complain, 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 complain. And I looked down at my Bible and then I laughed. Like that was such a pelly little thing. It didn't even matter. And there I was grumbling and complaining because I was going to have to take five or six or eight minutes on Wednesday afternoon. The script was already done and I was going to have to walk through it again. But there I was. I was beginning to grumble. I was beginning to complain. And you take a look back at your week last week and you can probably find lots of things where that's what you did. Paul is in prison as he writes this to the people. And he says, do everything you do without grumbling and without complaining. Oh, God help us to work out the salvation that God has worked in us without moping, without groaning, without... Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul could say things like in Corinthians, be followers of us and of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he says, for you remember, brothers, your labor and toil, how we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop complaining. Stop murmuring. Stop wallowing in the hardship that you find yourself in and work out yourself as you want to be a demonstration to a world and they'll be like what in the world is going on with you set aside those things that are in your life what does a good worker look like what does a good worker look like here's 10 words the first one is reliability if i'm a good worker i'm a reliable worker if I'm a good worker, is the next one, dedication, filled with diligence. That's what I do as a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If I'm a good worker, I'm filled with productivity, not trying to figure out how little I can do before I get out of the office at the end of the day, but what can I accomplish in productivity? I'm a cooperative worker, seeking to work as part of a team. I have purpose in what I do, and I focus on that purpose I have character, loyalty, honesty, integrity, contentment. I work sacrificially going above and beyond. Those aren't the kind of words that you hear necessarily in the workplace today. That's not what people are going for in their world. I have credibility. My yes is yes and my no is no. And I serve respectfully. The ninth one I put down is I serve cheerfully and I serve humbly. Work, work. I read this quote a few months ago. It said this, you cannot work too hard. You can only work too much. You cannot work too hard. You can only work too much. And there are people who work too much and they need to learn some lessons. But when we're at work, we need to be about work. And when we're working out our salvation, you cannot work too hard. We need to be people of God who are focused on what God has called us to and we're not setting aside the priorities that God has laid out for us. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in hell to which you are going. Obviously, that was a judgment on a group of people. We're called to work 
and not to give up. Not to give up. And so when he says, work out your salvation, don't give up. But here's the thing, don't do it with grumbling or murmuring. The word means to complain quietly about something, to talk in an unhappy way or to mutter in discontent. Now that's what happens usually under our breath and in our mind and, and it's just like mm, mutter, 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 grumble, 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 complain, complain, complain. Why do I have to redo this thing? I went to the church. I did it last week. Why couldn't they get it right? Why do I have to do it over? Why do I have to do it over? Mumble, 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 mumble. Guilty. Guilty. Do it without grumbling and do it without disputing. See, grumbling tends to be the initial activity and disputing tends to be the result of questioning and arguing and finding fault and don't do it. Don't do it. In verse 15, in verse 15, he says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Now that's the result. We see the result here. The New American Standard says that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent. It's, it's the character of the per person. It's, it's what we've become. It's, it's who we are. The word blameless means not culpable. I'm not culpable. It's because we deal with our sin. It doesn't mean we've never sinned. Lots of people who come in here and accuse me of something. But am I blameless in that now? Have I dealt with it? Is it under the blood of Christ? Is it finished? That we would be people who are not culpable and people who are innocent. The word means to be pure, unmixed, or not defiled. The, eye of, uh, the idea of the, of the metal with all of the dross taken off of it. And, and so in our lives, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, that's been accomplished for us. That was done once and for all in our justification, in our salvation. But it's something that we have to live out in our faith every day, that we be people of God, that people can't be pointing the finger at us and going, see, that's not what a Christian looks like. That's not the way you should live. You don't let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't keep your word. You don't do what you say. Those things can't be part of us as we work out our salvation because it is God who is working in us. We be children of God, pure, not culpable, harmless, harmless. Spurgeon wrote this, the Greek word might be translated hornless, as if we were to be creatures not only that do no harm, but that could not do any, like sheep that not only will not devour, but cannot devour, for it were contrary to their nature. For they have no teeth with which to bite, no fangs with which to sting, no poison with which to to slay, blameless and innocent, first before God in our salvation and in our sanctification and then with all of those who are around us more and more as we live out for the glory of God. Now, the result, that you are children of God without any blemish. And then he says, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's found right in the middle of the context without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That's where we live. We live in a sinful world among whom you shine as lights in that world. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light, you are lights in a crooked and perverse world. Well, what do lights do? Well, lights reveal things. They make things evident. Lights guide. Lights warn. Lights make things safe. And so you're called to be a light as a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm called to be a light as a follower of Jesus Christ. Like, what kind of light are we? As people look at us and they see us and they watch us. Um, I, I wrote down three words. Here's the first one. Are you, a, are you a light that's fruitless? You're fruitless because your life doesn't match up with uh, what you say you believe. And there's no fruit that's there. And that light that's shining is some kind of a flicker, but it's sure not demonstrating Jesus Christ. And, and so we're called to be lights in a crooked and perverse world. And, and maybe as you hear this message today, work out your salvation. You've got the, no, I got the salvation part, but the working it out part, there's no fruit. Be careful about your salvation if there's no fruit. We need to be people of God who have fruit. And maybe your light is pretty fruitless. Or maybe you're a fanatic. That's the other end of the extreme. On the one hand, you're doing nothing for the Lord. On the other hand, you're like a bull in a china shop, ripping people apart and shredding them all of the time. And uh, fruit is there and you keep bruising it. More than that, you keep squishing it. And we're to be lights. We're to be lights. But don't bruise the fruit. And we need to be careful because what we need to be is faithful people. We need to be faithful. And when God opens the door, we need to walk through it and we need to look for the opportunities that God is giving us so that we will work out our salvation and we'll do it with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work. God's doing this. God is at work in us. And when we're ready and when we're open and when we're seeking the opportunities, the Lord will give them. The Lord will give them. And that's the result, that we be lights that shine. And the how? Well, holding fast to the word of life. We don't give up. We don't give up. Paul gives three illustrations of this, I think, as we kind of finish through the rest of the text. The first one is the illustration of himself. It's in verses um, 17 and, and verse 18. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering for your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm keeping on. It's God's work. I will do it regardless of the cost. Don't give up. That's his picture. In verses 19 to 24, he gives the illustration of Timothy. Timothy, who is with him as he's writing the book. Timothy's probably the scribe of this book as it's being written. Timothy was a faithful son. Paul was his spiritual father, his mentor, his disciple. Paul had poured into him and poured into him. And, and now Paul says to them, look at Timothy. Look what he's doing. Look at his faithfulness. He's going through hard things. He's not giving up. Don't you give up. Don't you give up. And then he comes to Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 30. See, what had happened was the church in Philippi had a gift to take to Paul, to get to Paul, and it hadn't got there. 
And Epaphroditus was given or took the responsibility to get it there. Um, it says in the very last verse, it says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Lacking in your service wasn't that they failed in getting the gift together. They just hadn't got it to him. And so Epaphroditus took the gift and he brought it to Paul. In the process, he almost died. He was just wanting to be faithful, but he didn't give up and he got it there and he finished the task that, that God called him to do. Don't give up. Don't give up. And look what it says in verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Receive him with joy and honor such men. Honor, honor who? Honor faithful people. Honor who? Honor the less known. Paul was the one that the light was shining on. People other than Philippi wouldn't even know who Epaphroditus was. Honor who? Honor people, those who do hard work, who don't give up. Honor them. And I was thinking about that this week and thinking about that in the context of our church, how do we work it out? And that is, who do you need to honor? Honor such people. Honor faithful people. Honor the less known. Don't come up to me after the service and, and say nice things that you can, but you don't need to do that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about who are the people in your life who you need to uh, send a text to this afternoon or send an email to this afternoon or call on the phone this afternoon or make an appointment to go out and talk with them this week and honor them for their faithfulness in serving God. Honor such people. Honor them. Somebody on your mind right now? The Lord put somebody on your heart? We'll do it. Honor them for their faithfulness, for their service that no one else even knows about, the good thing they did in your life. They worked out their salvation with fear and trembling. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, so what? So what? Off to work we go. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's impossible what God is calling us to do. But he enables us and he will give us the desire to do what he's called us to do. For it is God. So get to work. And don't, don't, don't give up. As you work out what God has worked in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge of it. Thank you for the, the, the struggle maybe we even face as we think about how we have not stood, how we have not accomplished what you promise you will work, what you say you will do. Don't let that discouragement keep us, Lord, from doing what you've said you will do through us. But, Father, in a fresh commitment, a renewed commitment today, Lord, I will work out what you have worked in me. Father, we're amazed by our salvation. We're in awe of what you have done. Now give us hearts, God, to live out the salvation you have put in us with fear and trembling. Because, God, you do the work. Do it for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.